0: Hello, it's Jeff. Just before we get to the show, just a friendly reminder to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it's downloaded and ready to go.
1: Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel.
0: Hotel, the podcast with the open mind. We're on episode five this time with the special guest who directed the October 2022 motion picture film, Sex with Sue. The story of Sunday night sex show legend, educator, rock star host, Sue Johansson. It's going to be fun. And coming up after that, a new erotic bedtime story featuring the link between sex and smell. And the story of a rain-soaked, dirty blonde and her lovers and how they can't get enough, but try they do. It's a story called Green Eyes, written and shared with you by me a bit later. Now, before we begin, let's breathe. A simple way to calm down and get into the frame of mind to enjoy conversation about relationships and pleasure and sex and how to put it all together to make your life a bit better. So let's breathe in the air. Here we go. One big breath in. And out. Second one. A big breath in. And out. And finally, one more. Third breath in. And out. Now, thinking about her career, uh, 92-year-old Sue Johansson said... It made it okay to talk about sex, to talk about all sorts of stuff, and nobody bats an eyelash anymore. She added, I wasn't young, I wasn't beautiful, I didn't have bodacious tatas, I was just a mother with a load of information. Sue went on to note that I pushed the line as far and as fast as I could, and I got away with it. It's tough to find a Canadian over the age of, say, 35 or so, unknowing of the no nonsense kind and fun and funny Sue Johansson. She just wanted kids to be educated, adults too, so that's what she did, and more. She loved doing the show, hundreds of episodes on radio and television. Sue wrote three books, Talk Sex, Sex is Perfectly Natural but Not Naturally Perfect, and Sex, Sex, and More Sex. In 2001, Sue Johansson given one of Canada's highest honors. More to come on that. Sue is 92, retired, and currently living in Toronto. Now she lives even larger in the film Sex with Sue. It runs 88 minutes. Before I introduce to you the film's director, here's the trailer. If you think you're going to take that whole thing in your mouth, you're going to throw up. What does an old lady like me know about sex? The answer? Plenty. Doggy position. Great big penis. Head, hand movements the kind of work I did. Got a question? It's a little bit controversial.
1: Horny is a beautiful thing.
0: Sue, 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 Sue. Sue Johansson. She really is famous. Infamous would probably be the word. I remember her giving a hand job to a cucumber. I never looked at a cucumber the same. Tell all your friends to call you and slide it into the
1: crotch of your panties. (laughs) job is to fill in the gaps. Never go
0: from rectum to vagina. Right. Uh, the words we can't say. No, no,
1: no, no, no. Sue took offense to
0: that because a cock ring is a cock ring. Cock ring. Cock ring. Cock ring. I didn't give a damn. I can do this. Those days, we
1: couldn't talk about birth control. Abortion was illegal. Mom had pushed back from people who were anti-abortion.
0: You also had people talking about rounding gay people up and quarantining us.
1: Homosexuality is not an affliction.
0: We really needed healthy, progressive sex education. This one person was the only one telling us this stuff. Hey, guys, relax.
1: One size fits all. to sue for blazing a trail that i have followed as a sex educator sue was a woman on television talking about sex and that is exactly what i want to do
0: i've learned from sue to emphasize pleasure that is something radical oh it's a dirty job somebody's gotta do it No one has ever better captured the attention and imagination of Canadians who love sex than she. She whom I was fortunate to meet in 1988 when her show followed mine on the radio. The Sunday Night Sex Show with Sue Johansson was only the beginning of a prolific career that led her to television. Sue lives on, literally, as a retired person and in the release of the new documentary film Sex with Sue, exploring the prolific career of sex educator television personality Sue Johansson. And who better to have at the Blue Hotel than the award-winning director behind the film? Our special guest today makes documentaries with a focus on women who have forged their own paths outside of societal norms. She's directed content. She has directed content for Netflix, Crave, CBC, and Vice. This time, it's in association with Banger Films, She's the director of Sex with Sue. We say, hello, Lisa Rideout. How are you? I am well. Thank you.
1: Speaking of universe bringing people together, I was watching the Dr. Ruth documentary on a plane and it, you know, triggered my memory. I'm like, oh, Sue, I remember I grew up with the Sunday night sex show like so many of us. It was incredible to me that no one had made a film about her, so I literally landed from that flight, got on my phone in the car driving back home, found Sue's website online, and there was an info at email address, and I just shot an email you know, that explained my connection to her that I really wanted to make a film, and I 100% thought no one's going to message me back. That's it, but if it's meant to be, I put it out there. And I think a few days later, I got a mysterious email back that was, someone's making a film already, passed on your info, maybe they'll get in touch. And I was like, okay, okay, probably no one's going to. At the same time, Jane Johansson, Sue's daughter, was recording with her mom. So she had done that for years on end. She didn't know if she was going to make a book or if she was going to make a film. And it's funny, she tells the story, she says you know, I thought I'd make a book, but then I realized I wasn't a writer. So then I thought I'd make a documentary and I realized I wasn't a filmmaker. So yeah, my message got passed on to Jane. She wanted a director to come on board and there it was, it, you know, it's kind of history from there.
0: So, so tell me this, two things. One, how long ago was this this initial contact you made?
1: You know, I just looked up the original email. It was October 30th, 2019. So almost exactly <laughs> three years.
0: And they alluded to a a film already being made. Who was, was it Banger Films that was already involved? Or tell me more.
1: Jane herself, she had bought a camcorder when she decided to just film interviews with her mom. So she was doing that for a little bit. And then she realized, oh, I should probably get a professional crew. So she had hired a crew to come on board and help her. And and luckily, because sometimes you get into these films and the person who had been making them, they're like, yeah, I have all this footage, you can use it. And you're like, oh, no, it's going to look terrible. But she had hired Ann Tipper, who's a very talented cinematographer based in Toronto. And so she had shot these interviews with Sue and they were beautiful and usable. They're the ones that are in the film. At the same time, I was at Banger Films working on their series, This Is Pop and just thought hey i should pitch them this project i feel like it would be a really good fit and it was and you know we went from there
0: so in that initial uh, email that you sent what did you include other than you know the invitation to to maybe collaborate did you like put your bio in there or did you put some of your work in there how did you sort of prove yourself your credibility
1: i think it's so important to have a personal connection to the work that you want to do and i did so you know i said dear sue i grew up with you you know, I watched the Sunday night sex show. I told her I was in Catholic school at the time, and I can remember being in grade five or six, and they brought out, it's like seared into my memory, this puppet named Carrie, who was like a dinosaur that would come on the teacher's hand, and mm-hmm. Carrie would tell us about our body parts. Like, it was so weird now that I think about it, that a pu- like a weird dragon was telling us about body parts. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, told her about my sex ed, and then yeah, I gave a bit of my bio, um, links to my work, the type of work I like to do, and then just added in a fun fact that my mom and her went to the same nursing school, which is kind of random because it's, you know, St. Boniface in Winnipeg. The nuns taught them. My mom is younger than Sue, but they both went there. So I thought, oh, that's just kind of a, you know, fun connection to each other. and And that was it.
0: That's a great connection, though. You didn't film or interview Sue specifically, but tell us about your communication with her once you got the ball rolling on this. Was it mostly with her daughter or was it with Sue too?
1: So primarily it was with her daughter. They had filmed those interviews over maybe six years before I came on board. Just every few years, my, my understanding is they check in with her and they do interviews. And then Sue was kind of really tired of it and she had her time in the limelight, right? We all know she thrived. She's out there. She's on every late night talk show. Everyone watched her. I think we don't know this necessarily as Canadians, but she had an American show where 4 million Americans watched every Sunday. And that show was shown in 22 countries in Europe. She was huge in Brazil. It was in Asia. So you know, she was famous. Everyone knew who she was. And I think there came a point in her life where she's like, I just want to retire and not do this anymore. So that was when I came on board. And so it it was primarily Jane, I, you know, I met Sue, that was important to me to be in her presence, you know, you want to really get to know the person that you're making this big film on. So that was special. But um, Jane came on as a creative consultant, and she was incredible throughout the process.
0: Because you mentioned Dr. Ruth, which is the name that comes to mind for so many of us because of the, of the proliferation of sex education in America on television, um, and, I, and I was a fan of hers as well, but we had this deeper connection to Sue through radio and television as Canadians. How would you characterize, if you would, or if you could, contrast uh, Dr. Ruth versus uh, Sue?
1: We get into it a little bit in the film, but Dr. Ruth was more the psychology sue was more the nuts and bolts julie smith in the film she's a producer of the sunday night sex show that's how she puts it and you know sue is a little bit more i think outrageous she really understood the value of humor and how that can allow people to take in information that would otherwise be uncomfortable so i mean we we see sue she's a performer you know she knows you get people laughing they'll listen to you and they'll let their guard down a little bit
0: Her charm and her humor were were unparalleled. There's no question. And and we live in a society, and and it's it's not changing anytime soon. I, and I think you, based on what I've learned about you, is it's about kindness, it's about respect, it's about human decency, it's about getting along. When I think about Sue, uh, her very matter-of-fact presentation, her boldness, um, her humor... I was surprised given that a lot of people default to being mean-spirited when they don't understand or when they have some sort of insecurity of their own. Nobody ever criticized her that I can remember in all of my dealings with the public both at radio and and social media. Everyone seems to love her. What do you what do you think about that?
1: That was something jumping into the research of the film, I was like, you know, why didn't anyone, did people complain? Were they picketing outside? Because, you know, I'd watched her show growing up, but the, I was young and I got, you know, little snippets of it. So then making this film, I had to watch, you know, hours and hours and hours. And I was like, wow, Sue is super radical. Like this is bold for right now. So we get into it a little bit in the film. She did get pushback because she had a birth control clinic in Toronto. So there were anti abortion protesters, I think, at one time. And, you know, we talked to Jane Houghton, who was at Q107 and helped put Sue on the air. And she did say people would call in and complain. And I think they got a few calls when she first went on TV with the Sunday Night Sex Show, but not what you would expect in terms of what she was talking about. And I, I think I had to remind myself this was before the internet. So you didn't have trolls. You didn't have people so easily, you know, going on Twitter and being like, oh, she's affecting the children or whatever. However you would like critique Sue, that didn't exist. So the way you could complain, I guess you call the network or you someone writes a newspaper article. So I think it might be different if she were on the air now. But who Sue was, I think her age that she was so authentic and dedicated to this knowledge really made people not get their backs up. Like she put people at ease, I think, regardless of, you know, kind of political, social views, everybody loves Sue.
0: (laughs) And you know what, when I think back, if someone did call and have something odd or whatever the thing was, she didn't get flustered. She knew how to handle people with humor and with uh, facts and she just was was so social had the great ability to deal with everyone um with both respect but with i think that's part of her her greatest charm is that we all laughed but we all learned at the same time
1: yeah i think that she was non-judgmental like you could call in and you could ask any question under the sun and that was definitely one of the interview questions i asked to all the crew members that we interviewed was you know, what was the most like outrageous call? Like, what do you remember? And um, there was one that we saw that was in the film and then came out at one point, but someone called in and asked about masturbating with chicken cutlets, you know? And you could see Sue's face, you know, the voice sounded like, you know, kind of maybe a college student, maybe his friends were in the back. Oh, they got through, they pranked her. And it was like early Sunday night, Sex show days. So I don't know if the screening was as good as it got. Um, You know, Sue, she answered the question. And at the end, she said, You know, like you can use them. They might be cold, but just don't put them back in the fridge after. (laughs) And it's such a funny moment. But she, what everyone would say over and over and over again, she would answer as if someone legitimately had that question. So even if that person were pranking, there could be someone else out there who wanted to masturbate with chicken and she didn't want to make them feel bad about that. So (laughs) I I just, I love that that's who she was and she stood for that. And I think it made people feel much less shame around their sexual desires.
0: Shame is a killer. And I'm glad that she was there to uh, to sort of uh, combat that. I remember very distinctly driving down the Don Valley Parkway in 1987-8 with my then wife and uh, and I had a I had a thing that I did. Everybody wants to be normal and 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 when you do something that no one else seems to do, you think, "Hmm, I hope there's someone else that does that." And so we're listening as we're driving down the DVP and Sue gets a call on the radio show Sunday night and Maybe it's just me, but when I get excited, when I get turned on, I, I, I sneeze, involuntarily sneeze, and, and two or three times in a row. And it happens 80% of the time that I am turned on. And Sue, Sue knew that that was a thing. And no one I'd ever heard knew that that was a thing or even brought it up, certainly not on the radio. And she explained how common it was or how not common it was and how okay it was and how anything is kind of okay because it exists. And I looked over at my then partner and smiled because I was validated. And Sue had a way of validating just about anyone from uh, that sneeze to that guy with the chicken cutlets.
1: I I think that's, you know, the gift that she gave to us. And, you know, I think, again, I, I always go back to it, but it's hard to imagine the internet not existing and social media not existing. But, you know, now you could find a Reddit thread, I'm sure, about sneezing when you're turned on and you'll have a whole bunch of comments. So at least you'll know that other people, you know, are doing the same thing or turned on by the same thing. And there's something in not feeling alone in that. But, you know, that wasn't a thing. So I think we had such a narrow depiction of sex and sexual desires when Sue was on the air because you learned about sex, you know, in a Playboy magazine, maybe porn that was on VHS. Or I can remember, I've tried to look this up. There was a show called Bleu Nuit, I think. And we would get it. I grew up in Ottawa, but it was porn, softcore porn that was coming from Quebec, I think. And like at one point in time, you kind of get it. There'd be that like, what is it? Snowy, like you couldn't really see it, but (laughs) there's that. Or you were talking to your friends. So you know, there wasn't diversity. There wasn't kind of things outside of the norm. And Sue really opened up what was possible in terms of sex and sexual desires.
0: And she talked in a way that we talk. She didn't talk in a way that was eggheady, as it were, or 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 in, you know, with a, with a lab coat on. She talked like a person you were sitting across the kitchen table with, and that just made it so relatable to all of us.
1: And she gave us the language too. I mean, I, I can remember a clip where. Someone calls in and they say, oh, my partner, you know, wants to pee on me. And she says, oh, you mean a golden shower. So she just, you know, there's no embarrassment. She's going to give you the language for what it is. And she knows everything, which is awesome.
0: The funny thing that you mentioned, chicken cutlets, uh, only in that if, if someone didn't catch episode two on sex education, when I was in grade six, when we got our first sex education in the Ontario school that I went to, they illustrated uh, intercourse by means of showing us a film that went from a couple laying down side by side, a man and a woman in a bed, and then it cut to, as a film as a filmmaker, get this, and then it cut to chickens. <laughs> Fornicating in a in a chicken coop, and oh. it was lost on us the relevance of that. But that was that as was racy, or that crazy. was as um, that was as real as it could get in in nineteen seventy six.
1: Wow, that, that I mean that's an interesting choice. Like, why chickens? and why, why not? Ch- I don't know for, pandas or any other sort of animal? Dogs,
0: horses. Maybe horses oh, yeah. would have been too dramatic. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you were in a Catholic school system. Did you find the need to know more? What was it like then from your memory of of being educated or lack thereof?
1: When I was growing up in Catholic school, there was uh, Fully Alive. There were these textbooks that we got that anyone who went to Catholic school in Ontario at a certain period of time will remember Fully Alive. I think it just taught you about your bodies and like people shouldn't touch you and then not to have sex before you're married because it was was catholic school. My mom was a nurse. So, you know, she we couldn't talk about sex necessarily, but she would talk about birth control. Like she did kind of approach it from a medical standpoint, I think we just kind of like learned as we were going, I guess talk to our friends, like it's hard for me to put myself back there. But we were learning as we were doing, which I think is awful, and can be particularly awful for young women, I think, because at that point, too, you would watch porn where the guy is just like smashing the woman, and it's not about female pleasure. It's not really about pleasure for anyone when you're watching porn. You know, It's about putting on a show. So I think that's where everyone was learning from.
0: Certainly porn from that era or certainly mm-hmm. certain categories of porn that still exist. But as we both know, there's porn that's actually wonderfully done and, and does address the things that go beyond uh, performance.
1: Yeah, totally. We, we had, I mean, it was important to me as well in this film you know to have we had Nina Hartley is in the film and she's an adult entertainer and Bree Mills she you know makes adult videos from i think a very different perspective than when we got growing up so yeah we we dive into that a little bit and i'm amazed how much it's all changed and it's you know i think that's the incredible part of social media the internet technology being more accessible is that now Porn is so different. Imagery is different and different types of people are making it, which is cool. It's great.
0: Starting with women making it, not just men at one time.
1: Yeah, totally. And people that have different sexual orientations, you know, you're not having like queer women on screen, but the straight men are like making them have sex in the way that they want them to, you know? So I think, yeah, that's important. And Nina Hartley actually, which was very interesting to me, She created educational porn, I will say. Um, She had a series where she gave tips, but, you know, she's graphically doing it because she's like, well, people want to watch this, but then I can give them tips on, you know, these different sexual acts. And I thought that's so cool because in the film, we wanted to really showcase people who grew up watching Sue that are doing progressive work in these spaces, but not just in the classroom. You know, we have Delta work who is a drag queen. She was on RuPaul's drag race and she performs as Sue in this bar in LA. And I thought, wow, do people actually know when you perform as Sue who she is? Because, you know, you're in this like little corner in LA and she's like, yeah, there's always people that are like, Oh, Sue, so she carries on Sue's legacy that way. You know, Nina Hartley does through her videos. And then we, ha- we do have more traditional sex educators in the classroom. But I thought, yeah, let's show the huge impact that Sue has had in very different spaces.
0: Tell me about ratings for for film. because um, And tell me about the distribution of this film. Where can we see it? And, uh, and how is it rated?
1: So you can see it. Uh, Chorus Entertainment came on as our broadcaster. And right now it's streaming on Stack TV, which you can get through Amazon Prime. So it's pretty easy, actually, to watch the film right now. And ratings, do you mean like rated X? or?
0: That's what I mean. Yeah, rated G for, for all or rated PG for some or rated triple X for those of us, you know.
1: Um, I mean, that's a good question. I know that there's an adult warning at the beginning of it. And that's about as much as I know. But if I were to rate it, I mean, I guess it's, it's no different than what the Sunday night sex show was like. So it is for mature audiences. I think it's something you can turn on and kind of have your kids watch. Like how old were we when we watched the Sunday night sex show? Right? And we were giggling. So I watched it when it came out on, I guess it's Monday with um, my partner's dad. And it's always interesting to turn this on with some parents, but you know, I think it's good. My mom called me, she said, oh, that was kind of shocking. There were a lot of sex toys in that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know, but, you know, the point is that we can we should be able to talk about this and it not be so embarrassing.
0: Why were toys ever bad? They weren't, they were great as kids and they're great as adults, too. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is something that people may or may not be surprised about. In 2001, Sue was given one of Canada's highest honors when she was appointed the Order of Canada for her lifetime achievement in sex education. That's astoundingly cool that, that she rose to, to be recognized in that way, not only by the people who really understood that she was important on television and radio, but by the Canadian government.
1: You know, something that people told me and Suze talked about is that that was her biggest achievement. You know, she was on Leno. She, you know, she became this big star, but she so identified as being Canadian and that award meant everything to her. And I think as well, you know, a funny story is that Sue was really thrifty. You see that in the film as well. But, you know, they say she knew how to pinch a penny. And so she would shop at thrift stores like that was where she would get most of her clothes. So I'm I'm almost 100 percent sure I heard a story of Sue going to a thrift store to get her dress to then go be given the Order of Canada, which I just love. (laughs) I love
0: that too. When I met her, she she had this way probably with everyone, but you think it's just you because you're in the room with her and she makes you feel like you're the only person that matters. So I was finishing my my Psychedelic Sunday afternoon show at 6 o'clock and being as conscientious as she was, uh, two hours early, she was in the radio station, so I'm putting my records away and whatever the program was after mine. I think it was taped programming, and then Sue would be on it. Eight and and she would be in two hours early with her producer and me in the room and we'd just be talking, and she goes Jeff Woods um that song about kiss you all over can you do 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 you do you know that one I'm like yeah yeah that was uh, Exile I think was the band and she goes can you get me that 45 rpm single I really want to play it it's such a great song and of course I got it for her and she played it she she had a way of uh, weaving music. Uh, that she knew people listening to that radio station would enjoy uh, into her program. But the point being, she was just so easy to be with off the air as she was on the air when people called in. She was just lovely.
1: Yeah, I think everyone is like, she was the exact same on air as the off air. And I, I, I think what you know made her so special was that at her core, it was about information. Like it was about spreading information, sex education, people having a pleasurable sex life and being safe rather than fame, you know, rather than notoriety. Like that wasn't her goal. It was just an offshoot of her being so successful. And so she had this authenticity and kindness I think that people really responded to and you know her daughter Jane will say You know, they were out for dinner and people would come over and they would talk to her. They'd be on the street and they wouldn't just say like, hey, Sue, I, you know, I love you. I listen to you. They would ask her questions like they would be in the middle of dinner and Sue would answer (laughs) like Sue, you know, was just always the same no matter where she was.
0: Many people's favorite male sex educator, uh, Dan Savage from the Savage Love podcast is among the contributors, Lisa. Tell us about what he brought of value to the film that no one else could have brought in the way he did.
1: You know, I think Dan, similarly to Sue, has been a sex educator for decades. So he, you know, had his print column first. You know, he's moved through a bunch of spaces. He was, you know, on TV at one point, um, a podcast. So he really gets, I think, how sex education has changed over the, you know, various decades that he's been working in the space. And he was on Sue's show. So we definitely, you know, we just didn't pick anyone. We picked people that had an authentic connection to Sue and then were experts in their field as well. So he, yeah, he gave us a really great perspective on how things had changed over the time periods. You know, he's been asked, like Sue, thousands and thousands and thousands of questions. So he could say, what are the most common ones? How have they changed over time? And then he, you know, can talk about, the HIV AIDS epidemic in the 80s, which was so important to talk about in this film, and talk about how it affected sex education. You know, he has a personal perspective, and Sue was on Q107 in the 80s. So you can't talk about sex, you can't talk about it in the 80s without talking about the HIV AIDS epidemic. So he, you know, really helped kind of contextualize that moment in time as well.
0: You really um, can't talk about any of it now without bringing all of those aspects into it. But I'm trying to remember, and you know what? And you can probably shed light on this. I don't remember that whole conversation around gay, lesbian, bisexual being part of the conversation so much then. I don't remember it at all. Is it my revisionist memory or what do you remember of the content around that?
1: I was surprised at the diversity of questions in terms of sexual orientation. It felt like, you know, quite diverse. You know, she would answer as best as she could everything. But at least in the film, we really dig into how the HIV AIDS epidemic changed how people were approaching sex education because you had to have, you know, people were drilling down on safe sex, obviously, how to have safe sex. But There were people like Sue and others who also were like, okay, you have to have safe sex, but you still want it to feel good. And that was different than the conversation that was going on. I think something that's incredible about Sue, and it didn't make it into the film, unfortunately, is she worked with Casey House in Toronto, which was an organization working with HIV AIDS positive men at the time. And she would bring men up to her cottage, I think quite often that were in hospice care because of AIDS. And, you know, we heard these stories that that was an incredible experience. So Sue, you know, she says in the film, she was really involved with the gay community. I've heard that from various people. And I think, I didn't know, kind of jumping in, I was like, you know, was it just super heteronormative? Like like you said, I have no idea because it was such a different time period than right now. But um, at least from what people have told me and kind of piecing things together, Pursue it was, you know, just get the right information to the right people as best as she could. And, you know, I think that was such a kind of scary moment in time. No one knew what was going on. And we, you know, because I, I was not alive when that was happening. So my editor and I, the only kind of parallel we had to, you know, a pandemic, an epidemic happening and like misinformation getting out there was, you know, right now with COVID and how no one knew what was going on. And we tried to kind of replicate that feeling of what was happening. And George Strombolopoulos, who's in it, you know, he talked very clearly and decisively about how awful the school was in the 80s when all of that was happening with getting information to them and how Sue was the only one that was doing it.
0: So as a content creator and editor and radio show producer and host... Oftentimes, when I'm really passionate about a story, my hour-long show could be five hours long. (laughs) So the decisions, you know, making a record or making a movie is really about a series of decisions, and they're on you as the director. How long would this film be if you left everything in that you really wanted to leave in?
1: Oh, I want to remember how long the first assembly of it was. (laughs) Was it five hours? It might have been a bit shorter. I think we landed with what needs to be in the film, of course, you can make a longer film, but I mean, it's hard. we I never wanted to make, you know, a straight up biopic. Like I didn't want it to be, Sue was born in 1930 and she did this and this and this. I wanted to, ha- to weave in contemporary visuals and contemporary sex educators. And then we had to tell the social political context. So those are kind of three layers of the film, which made it so hard at points to have those pieces come together because- you know, we filmed a handjob workshop in Toronto, and that has to weave into Sue's story in the right, you know, you got to have it in the right place that has to have the right re- momentum, and it has to make sense. And so there were moments where I was like, why did I do this? Why did I not just make a regular biopic, which is relatively easy? put together. I mean, people might disagree, but at least you have a chronology. Like you're following a chronology of time. So, yeah, I make the decisions, but the team, you know, it's like a team effort. Everyone's bringing their perspectives. The editors were great. We had a story editor that came on at one point. And so we're kind of all trying to make these pieces come together. And I'm happy where we landed. I mean, of course, it could have been different if someone gave if it were like a four-part, you know, mini or something. But I think we couldn't actually have dug into Sue's story that much more. We would have dug into the other people in the film. Like I would have loved to follow Nina Hartley around, you know, and tell her story more or Shan Boodrum, like some of the other people that were in the film. I think they could have really became, you know, quote unquote characters, but we don't have the time or space to do that.
0: A 90 minute tour de force, let's call it, that uh, I can't wait to see the whole thing. I've seen the snapshots of it and I've loved every second of it. Uh, I congratulate you, Lisa Rideout, on, on putting together such a wonderful piece. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah, You're but, welcome. It was fun.
0: Tell me if you would... Uh, about your relationship now, having met and worked with Banger Films, Sam Dunn.
1: I had worked with them on This Is Pop, I think for two years because the pandemic maybe a bit longer. And then we went right into this film. So it's been a number of years at this point. And yeah, they're great. They're great. I love that they're opening up from music documentaries to you know other topics. And I think Sue being such a cultural phenomenon really fit their slate and it made sense for them. And, you know, they're they're pros at, you know, making films, getting talent, storytelling. So it was definitely the right fit for this film. And yeah, they're great.
0: Films out, people will see the film, people will talk about the film. Is there anything else going on in the world of uh, Sex with Sue?
1: It's out there. You know, the hope is right now it's streaming in Canada. So the hope is to get it into The the world, more of the world and then hopefully have some festival in-person screenings where we can bring everyone together that's in the film and you know I think there's there's nothing like being in a theater and hearing people react to the film so I'm really hopeful that that will happen soon
0: Lisa thanks a million for your time
1: thanks for having me it was fun we did a ride Mm -hmm. at the blue hotel Mm -hmm. we did a ride
0: Now let's do it. Let's climax episode 5 with a new erotic narration called Green Eyes. Smell. It's the sense of memory and desire. Jean-Jacques Rousseau said that. We look to anatomy to legitimize the link between smells and sex. The area of the brain through which we experience smells, the olfactory lobe. It's part of the limbic system, the emotional brain, the area through which sexual thoughts and desires are derived. It was 1932 when Brill suggested that people kiss to get their noses closer together so they can smell each other. Or to get their mouths together so they can taste each other since most of what we call taste is actually dependent upon smell. Back in 1999, while some of us were partying, others were examining the effects of 30 different smells on male sexual arousal. Each of the odors tested produced an increase in the flow of blood to their cocks. And the odor that did it in the greatest way was a combination of lavender and pumpkin pie. And then the study was repeated on females assessing their vaginal blood flow. And the largest increases were from candy and cucumber tied with baby powder and then a combination of pumpkin pie and lavender, and yet another combo of baby powder and chocolate. It was a matter of people recalling familiar scents and then being aroused by them. There's simply nothing quite like the trigger of scent to put you at a time and in a place. For him, the trigger of scent could push him back thirty years to when he was facing a girl whose back was to his high school bedroom mirror, her arms raised around his neck, And suddenly her summer sweat scent filled his head, and the blood rushed to his cock, and soon they were bare, and him on his knees, and then her, and then he was deep inside her, and that was the end of the innocence. And she couldn't quite grasp the effect her smell had upon him. So she'd shower it away, and he'd miss it, and he'd implore her to come and meet him next when she'd been running and sweating, unbathed and ripe. It was the way she smelled, and it was the way she looked and felt, too her riveting green eyes and her luscious lips and her full protruding ass. But it was really the way she smelled when she sweat, to the point it dripped from under her arms and it filled his head with thoughts that led to acts by bodies soaked and spent on hot summer afternoons. It was a time and place, summertime, parents away, teenage love in bloom. The vision of her honey-brown hair down her bare back and her swimmer-strong thighs spread, and that smile things that would stay with him forever. It was a few years later, between lovers, he was on holiday in the sun of the South Pacific when he met a girl at Bondi Beach. They were there separately and found themselves together on a bench, close enough to one another that he was sent back to that summer with the schoolgirl. Suddenly his head filled with a similar scent, and it was powerful, and his body responded exactly the same way, as if it were the same girl. His cock never harder than these moments. And then he never smelled anything quite like it again. Until last week. It was another park, another Sunday, not a cloud in the sky, sticky hot. He's baking on a blanket facing the bay and watching a dirty, blonde, wavy-haired woman cross-legged on a towel. Her profile facing him. She was facing a red-headed friend. And they were laughing and telling stories and talking with their hands, and giggling at the absurdity of the pictures they were painting, dating stories, more like online dating nightmares. Then the intensity of the sun pushed them onto their feet, and he watched as they made their way toward the water and went in, a bit above their waist, to cool off. They continued telling each other stories, the sound traveling on water as it does, and he continued listening. They were immensely cute the way they related and threw their heads back as though they'd been on the same dates with the same guys, and as the air got hotter still, sweat dripped down their foreheads, and they ventured out further, diving under, kicking towards the floating deck a hundred yards closer to the sun, and up they pulled their bodies, putting themselves on their backs, on the wooden planks of the deck, and talking some more, but more quietly now. He smiled and packed up his things and took his thoughts about the blonde and the redhead home with him. Then, in the middle of that night, there they were in his dream. The kind of dream that takes you right to the moment of something profoundly sexy. And then you wake up and think, oh my God, if only I could get back to that. And so you close your eyes and try, but to no avail. And when he opened his eyes again, it was holiday Monday. And around noon, when the sun had returned to its highest spot in the sky, he went back and found a spot and laid himself down and pushed the buds into his ears and played some music and closed his eyes to daydream. And while he did, the grass around him became checkered with blankets and towels and like-minded souls soaking up the heat of the summer sun. When he opened his eyes, there she was. Dirty blonde wavy hair was back, alone this time, maybe twenty-five feet away standing as she was, surveying her head off into the distance towards boats that were looking for a breeze on the bay. She spread out her indigo blue blanket and kicked off her flip-flops and sat with knees up and arms around them. She checked her phone and then she set it down. She pulled jean shorts off her fit long legs and slipped out of a white tank top, put the clothing in her bag and stretched her bikini body out. "'laying back with hands behind her head, and she gave a deep sigh. "'It was decidedly even hotter than yesterday, she loved the feeling of this much heat in the early part of summer. "'She leaned left and pulled a stainless steel vessel out of her bag "'and put it to her lips, sipping. "'And then, after pushing her wavy blonde locks up on top of her head with a tie, "'she rested it upon the blanket and welcomed more heat. "'He, with his eyes protected from the glare of the sun, hidden by shades,' Laid himself back and nodded off. Having no idea how long he had been out, when he opened his eyes again, lifted up his head, the blue blanket was still there, but it was empty. And just as he noticed, a voice. You're here again. Apparently, she had noticed him yesterday. He responded, No place I'd rather be. What a day, right? What a weekend, he shot back. She said, I'm so hot, though, I'm going to have to go get wet soon. Don't you swim? He said, I do, but not in this cold water. She said, big baby. He said, I just know what I like. Oh, really? What do you like? He responded, where to start? She said, always start at the top. And so he began, well, warm water, for one. She laughed and said, that much is clear. What else? He said, I like the color of your hair. She said, really? He said, how could I not? She changed the subject. You thirsty? I've got cold water holding up her stainless steel thermos. The cold water passed his lips. She continued, Come with me if you want to move up a bit to my blue blanket, and you can continue with your list. He grinned, stood up, gathered up his blanket and things. Together they walked the twenty-five feet to where her things were, and she said, We can share mine, straightening out the blue blanket, and then slipping off her jean shorts, extending her hand, motioning for him to join and she put herself next to him at a bit of a distance and sat, and so did he. Then she lifted her top over her head, and she warned, "'It's a perfect day, but don't let it fool you. Forecast says it'll cloud over at some point this afternoon rain.' As they faced the water and the glaring sun beat down upon their bodies, she continued, "'So go on, you like my hair?' As she pulled the elastic from it and gave it a shake, he replied, "'Dirty blonde, what's not to like?' And you know what else I like even more? The combination of that and your dark eyebrows. It was his favorite. Really, she said, that's new on me. Go on. He laughed at her insistence and said, you're going to have to help me with this one. She said, how do you mean? He said, take off your glasses. And so she did, and he was fixed on her eyes, and he told her so. I love your green eyes. Her smile grew wide and she thanked him. He continued, there's some great songs about green eyes. She said, tell me. He started in with green-eyed lady, lovely lady, strolling slowly towards the sun, green-eyed lady, ocean lady, soothing every raging wave that comes. She grinned and responded, that kind of talk will get you everywhere. Adding, I know that song, sugar, he finished it for her, sugar loaf. It was a summer of 1970, number three in the U.S., number one in Canada. He said, okay, how about something from this century? Honey, you are a rock upon which I stand, and I've come here to talk. I hope you understand. She laughed and said, oh, I understand. Song lyrics is patty removers. Go on. He laughed and gave up another verse, saying, here's the best part. Green eyes, the spotlight shines upon you, and how could anybody deny you? She smiled and raised her eyebrows, prompting more, and he continued. I came here with a load, and it feels so much lighter now I've met you. She questioned, you're a songwriter? And he gave credit where due. That one's actually Chris Martin. Me, I'm just an addict for the music. And obviously green eyes. She said, oh my God, music is everything to me too, but sometimes when I'm here... I just want to hear the pounding of the waves on the shore. The sound of nature, it just can't be beat. He nodded and said, that I understand. Adding, the only thing better than a day at the beach is a day at a nude beach. She said, like Wreck Beach in Vancouver? He said, yeah, like that, and like Red Sand Beach in Nelson, B.C. And she added Hamlin's Point in Toronto. That place I miss. The air on your body and walking up and down the beach, knowing that eyes are upon you and not really giving a fuck because you're free and... "'Nobody's going to tell you you can't. "'And then finding a spot to yourselves "'and getting a tan and maybe getting fucked. "'So I hear she laughed. "'He laughed, too, and said, "'It's true, blondes do have more fun. "'And then at the very same time "'they laid upon their sides and faced one another, "'heads upon elbows, and they laughed at their timing. "'His eyes were incredibly blue "'and inherently sensitive to the light, "'and they were hidden by shades so they wouldn't water.' He was enjoying taking in her grins and giggles, made him smile the way her eyes squinted and got big with her playful expressions, including when she suddenly demanded, take them off. Your glasses, I can't talk to you if I can't see your eyes. And so he took them off, half-jokingly saying, but now my eyes will have to behave themselves, and it ain't going to be easy around you. She got a bit serious and said, what if I tell you your eyes can go wherever they want? I'm not going to be offended. Life is short. Enjoy it. Besides which, you already made it known how you feel about my eyes. So look wherever you like. Her tone and her sincerity and her attitude he liked a lot. The sparkle in her eyes was the icing on the cake. And her dirty, blonde, wavy hair looked as though she might have just rolled out of bed and showed up at the beach and it was sexy. It crept halfway down her back when she pushed it back and he imagined it falling down upon her breasts, too. They were laying at a distance from one another, like friends might be, but they were close enough to feel the energy, and it was relaxed and curious. So, she said speculatively, you don't go in the water because it's too cold, so you don't wear a bathing suit to the beach. He shot back, is it a beach, though, if there's no sand? As he glanced toward the flat rock shoreline. She said, no, there's sand beyond the rock. In fact, it's a perfectly sandy bottom. He played back, your bottom's perfectly sandy. She said, well, I do like a firm bottom, but you didn't answer. What's under your jeans, and who wears jeans on such a hot day anyway? He said, a guy who rides motorbike. She said, where's your helmet? He said, it's sitting on my mirror. And then he undid the button on his jeans and said, you know what, you're right. Hadn't really planned to lay out for long, I was just taking a break. Fell asleep, and then you appeared, and here we are on a blue blanket. Then he pulled his pants down over his ass and off and declared, this is as close to a bathing suit as it's going to get. She said, those are underwear. He said, so you like them. His cock started rising and it wasn't lost on her. She said, I could get used to them. He paused and looked at her and said, tell me about you. Well, I can tell you that yesterday I noticed you'd left and I didn't stay much longer after that. And my friend and I, the redhead? "'Yeah, the redhead, Rebecca, and I went back to hers. "'And we were hungry, but we were horny, too. "'And before dinner, we made each other come. "'And it was sexy as fuck. "'And then we ate, and we retired from the sunny day, "'and I went to bed, craving cock. "'And I used my dildo, and it filled me up, "'but not quite in the way I wished. "'And then today, you, here, and... "'He gasped a bit and said, "'No beating around the bush with you, so to speak.' She grinned as she watched him grow bigger than her dildo. And she said, Rebecca just texted me and she's got a date tonight. He said, another girl? No, a guy. We're both bi and sometimes we play, but mostly just the two of us and then we do our own thing with men. He said, what's the sexiest thing you've done with a man in the last 90 days? She pondered for a second and started in. Two weeks ago, I was walking by the shops on my way to the parking lot and behind and it poured rain, hard. And I thought I should probably just keep going, but instinctively I ducked into a shop, a flower place, and there wasn't anyone else there except a guy who was about to close up. And he said, take your time, it doesn't appear it's going to slow down anytime soon. And he didn't look familiar, so I asked him how long he'd been working there. And he said he'd just got the gig two weeks prior, having moved up from the city. It was his mom's place, and he came to help out on Saturdays. And he was young and he was hot as fuck. And I was wet, not only from the rain, but the feeling the rain gives me. And I just stood there looking out as the rain pelted the passing cars and filled the streets, and I glanced at him, and I guess he saw it in my face, I don't know. I just didn't want to leave, and I didn't have to, and he could see that. And then he brushed by me and said, I have to lock it, but you don't have to go. And I said, good. Then as he walked toward the counter... My eyes sort of took his clothes off, and it was like he knew. Because when he got there, he came right out and said it, with his finger, come. And so I did, and it was right out of the movies. He was sweet, but he was self-assured, and he held my face in his hands, and he kissed me, and I was a puddle. And then I let him do whatever he wanted. What did he want? He said, take your coat off, so I did, and he peeled my t-shirt over my head for me. And then? And then his hands took my breasts. His mouth, too. And then he yanked my yoga pants down around my ankles. And got on his knees and pulled my underwear to the side with one hand and gripped one breast with the other and tongued my lips and clit for about ten, fifteen minutes, I swear. My knees were weak and I was dripping into his mouth. And then I erupted and squirted and gushed all over his face my legs trembling as he dragged me up. The whole time the rain beat down upon the skylight above us. And just when my body stopped visibly pulsating, he pushed the palm of his hand against the mound between my legs resting his fingertips just inside me, and he took his other hand and fingered me lightly from behind. He couldn't get enough of me, and I let him, and I told him, fuck me now. And so he turned me around and I bent my body and thrust my ass to him and gripped the counter, and he was inside me like a shot, and he thrust his perfect cock up and into me, and he drove in hard until I could feel he could explode at any time when I told him don't, and I turned around and fell to my knees, and he shot every drop into my waiting mouth, and I felt more alive in that moment than I had all year. Her story left him speechless. She laughed and said, too much information? He laughed along with her and said, I hope he sent you off with flowers. She said, oh, he sent me off walking a bit funny and with the feeling I'd be back another day around closing time. They laughed some more and they fell on their backs side by side and gave in to their imaginations for a moment or two. And then she inched her way along the blanket a bit closer, closer than they'd yet been. There it was. From the heat and probably from the way her story got her worked up, the smell under her arms was all around him. And it filled his head and the blood raced into his cock and all he wanted to be was inside of her. He knew she had no idea the impact her scent had upon him, but he couldn't contain himself about that and he blurted it out. Man, you smell good. I need you to kiss me. And so she did. From above, she locked his mouth with hers. And she could have easily mounted him right then and there were they not in the middle of the grass in a public place. So they kept kissing, and their smells together made the blood in her cunt flow too. And it became painfully evident it was time for a change of scenery. And so they paused, and he stated what she knew was true. We need to go somewhere. She said, anywhere but here. And so she pulled her shorts over her bikini bottoms, and pulled the tank top down over her shoulders, he pulled on his jeans and t-shirt, she her flip-flops, he his motorcycle boots. She folded the blanket into the bag and went. They stood facing one another and shared what was left of the cold water in the thermos. And then she said, take me somewhere and take care of this puddle and I'll take care of that, as her hand pressed against his crotch. And he said, come then. Off they went, in a southwest direction that rose towards tall trees in the distance and they made their way to a trailhead of hard-packed ground that led them into a forest. The path gently wound its way through pines and firs and spruce, and large rocks jutted here and there, and they came upon a stream that flowed from the hills above to the bay below. And because most everyone was at or on the bay, it was peaceful along the path. They passed only a few hikers as they kept traveling. Then suddenly the trees broke and a plateau presented itself with green grasses dotted with wild flowers, and then overhead. That morning's forecast came true as rain began pouring from the sky. The ground beneath their feet and the rocks along the path gave up steam, and he said it's like that flower shop all over again, and she said only better. Then he said this way, taking her hand and veering off the beaten path so they could walk along the riverbank. They'd been this way before, but not with the feverish pitch that pushed them further toward a sound that grew with every step until it was almost deafening and falling from three stories above, hammering down upon and gushing over the rocks below a waterfall with a relatively serene pool at its base, dimpled by the steady falling rain. They dropped their things onto the large flat rock surface beneath them, and her hands worked underneath her shirt and she pulled her bikini top away, discarding it on the rock, while his hands slid her bottoms down shorts and bikini all in one, she stepped out of them. Then her hands yanked open the button of his jeans, and she yanked them down. As he kicked off his boots and ripped off his shirt, the rain had soaked their hair and water streamed down their faces. All that was between their bodies and the world now was the sheer cotton of her top, soaked as it was, revealing the bumps around her erect nipples, her areola the size and color of which he found astonishingly sexy each three inches across and bronze. And she brought her hands up, and she cupped each of her tits with a sort of pride and presentation like she was making an offering. And he accepted by grabbing the top edge of the material and pulling hard left and right, tearing the tank top in two. And the sight of her full and well-separated tits was a sight to behold. His head dropped down, his mouth took one and then the other. His hands assisting, and the rain made his tongue slip and slide all around and her hands had fallen and wrapped themselves around his ass, holding both cheeks tightly, her nails digging in. He extended his right hand around to her ass, and his left hand kept working her tits. While his mouth met hers in the wet of the rain, and the spit swirled about their hungry mouths and diving tongues. Her right hand had remained clamped to his ass, and the other hand gripped his cock. She fingered around its head and rubbed the most tender spot just below the head, as if it were her own, so skillfully teasing and bringing to a low boil as cum-filled balls. Their senses were raging as the waterfall pounded and the raindrops pelted, and then... She pushed him back and started steering him toward a rock, directed him up to sit, his crotch the same level as her face, and she took it into her mouth and sucked, sensing that the harder she did, the more he would crave a different hole, and as she stroked it with her lips... He did crave the spot between her legs, and he pushed her back, this time steering her off the rocks and onto the earth, towards a broad tree. Then he turned her around and bent her at the waist, and she gripped the trunk, and he slid his thickness into her dripping tight lips, and slowly pumped, holding himself all the way inside her for a couple of seconds before pulling out and back in and again and again. And I felt so good for them both but they both sensed what they really needed next. The weight and the tension of one another's bodies entwined, and so, in a singular motion, as he withdrew his cock, he turned her around and gripped underneath her ass and lifted her up, and her legs wrapped around him as he entered her again, and gave her a few good pumps before carefully laying her upon the ground, still inside her, and resuming the thrusts. The steaming ground beneath her was wet and warm in her back and her ass slid up and down in the mud and the boughs of the pines swayed and the falls crashed and her cunt throbbed as his cock swelled to a new level of thickness and length. Her tits in his mouth made it so. And he really needed to hear and see her come and sense the best path toward that was flipping her on top of him and so he did and she arched and she rode. And he reached to his sides and scraped the ground and smeared the mud all over her perfect tits. And their mouths met and their tongues dove. And suddenly she held steady and firm and she shuddered as she came hard and long. And just as she did, he exploded inside her, gripping her ass tightly, as his cum shot into her again and again until he was drained. And then they lay there and they laughed. And he said, kiss me, green eyes. And she did. And the rain stopped, and the sun came back out.
1: Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Please take me back to the Blue Hotel.
0: The Blue Hotel Podcast, just about every Thursday at midnight Eastern. Follow, listen, enjoy, rate, review, share repeat. Until next time, I'm Jeff Woods.